Amen. Good morning, Cross Point. I want to encourage you, let the words of that song we just sang continue to echo in your hearts this morning as we prepare our hearts to continue in this series through the story of God. I'm going to be pulling from those lyrics later, but I want to encourage you, if you would, stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Children will be released after um, this, but John Harrison is going to be reading for us from Genesis chapter 4 this morning. So, John, thank you for reading. The man, the man was intimate with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have made a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear, since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, Whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, John. You may be seated in children. You may be released for children's church. You are going to be meeting first in the classroom off to the left to practice a worship song for Easter Sunday. And so make your way there first, and then you'll go to your normal classrooms. So if you haven't already, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4 as we continue in our series through the story of God. Now, this series, it's more than just a sermon series. Okay, like this is meant to also be something that we're reading on our own prior to Sunday 
You have these books, and on page nine, we've encouraged people to use what we're calling the road Bible study method because Jesus was walking along the road with the two disciples as they made their way to um, Damascus. And so it's this idea of walking with God in our everyday life, reading his word, observing what it says, applying this to our lives, and then seeking to who can we tell about what God is showing us through his word. And then we are also then looking at this on, on Sundays that, that you've seen recently. This is week four. We started with creation, that the, the character of God that's expressed in creation is the same character of God we experience in our salvation. We saw that, that mankind is uniquely, distinctly created in the image of God, right? Like mankind has been imputed with a distinct, unique value in responsibility, having been made in the image of God. And then last week we saw the fall, Adam and Eve's both doubts and disobedience of God, and yet in the face of mankind's rebellion, we saw God's goodness, his righteousness, his mercy on full display. And so in the sermons, like as we're going through this, our children's ministry is also going through the same text. Our desire is to help equip families to be able to talk about this around the dinner table, a desire to lay a solid foundation of understanding of God's word from Genesis to Revelation and seeing Christ in all of scripture, and then to be lived out in community with one another. Like our hope is that you would get plugged in to a community group that as you're reading God's word personally, as you're spending time meditating on God's word, meeting with him, gathering together on Sundays, that we would also meet to discuss what is God showing us from his word? What questions do we have? You can also email me questions at questions at xpoint.com. I love getting questions. I got a text message last night with more questions. Like, there are things I don't have time to cover on Sunday. So please, if you're reading or I say something in a sermon and you're like, what does that mean? Or what about this? You didn't talk about that. Or why did you say this? Like, feel free to ask. It should raise questions as we meditate deeply and as we live this out in community. But today we're going to see the costly consequences of sin continuing to be lived out. That as Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it promised life. It promised self-sufficiency. But as we're going to see, it only brings death and destruction. And it kind of leads to today's big idea, that thesis statement, if you will, that fallen mankind must now decide between two paths. And, and we see this having been separated by sin. On the one path, we have this trust of God. He promised that there will be one who will be born of a woman who will crush and defeat sin and death and destruction. And I'm going to wait and I'm going to trust in God for that. Or on the other hand, we see this other way of mistrust of God. Did, did he really say, can I really trust him? I can figure this out myself. I will pursue healing and wholeness my own way. And mankind is left with these two distinct realities that we'll see lived out among two brothers that we just heard, Cain and Abel. But I want us to just, for a moment, just put ourselves back in the context, because sometimes this story is taken just on its own. But I want us to understand the goodness of Eden, 
Remember, when God created the world, he formed and filled that which was formless and empty, right? And, and, and you'll see like up on the screen, you have God having created mankind in his image, formed and filled the earth. His presence dwelling on earth in perfect relationship with mankind that he created in his image. Right? There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no distance there. This is how it was intended. This is the goodness, the beauty of Eden. But then when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they became separated by sin. That they doubted God's trustworthiness. They doubted his goodness. Did God really say? Did he really mean that? Maybe God's holding back. You won't surely die. See, when you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. In this desire, maybe God's holding back. Maybe God doesn't want what's best for me. Maybe I can get more of what I really need apart from God, and I can't trust him. And in that, everything became broken. Sin permeated and saturated all of creation, from mankind to creation itself. And that leads then to these two paths. You have man there in the middle and and you have, you can either trust God. You can say, yes, I believe what he says. And at this point, it's the the promise of Genesis 3.15. There will be a son born of a woman who will ultimately crush the head of the serpent, who will defeat sin and death. And I believe that healing and wholeness comes through the one that God has promised, and I will follow him until that promise becomes my reality. Or on the other hand, you're like, well, I don't believe God. I don't think he's trustworthy. I don't think that son is ever going to come. I don't even know if he exists. I'm going to do this myself, and I'm going to seek healing and wholeness my own way. And throughout the scripture, we see the reality of people somewhere on the spectrum. And sometimes they vacillate between the two. It's imperfect. And that is what we see. There's only two paths in life of either trusting God or not. So it's in this context that Genesis 4 begins. So we see right here in Genesis 4, the man was intimate with his wife, Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. That Adam and Eve are awaiting the son who was promised. Right? Like Cain means to, to get. It means to receive. I have gotten is literally the meaning of Cain, Cain's name. Look what God has given me. God has given a son. And why is this so important? Why I have gotten a male child? Is it because men are better than women? Is it because men are made in the image of God and women aren't? No. We've already seen it declared. Male and female, they were created in the image of God. So why is it specified God has given me a male child, not just a child, a male child? Because the hope, the anticipation, can you imagine for the first time a woman gives birth to a human being made in the image of God? 
The only two before that were formed by the hands of God. She gives birth to a a human made in the image of God and a male. And the question that lingers, is this him? Is this the promise? Is this the son that was promised after I took the bite of that fruit of the knowledge of of the tree of good and evil? Is this the son who was promised, who will crush the head of the serpent, who will restore what has been lost in Eden? Is this him? Is he worthy to place my hope in? And there's such an emphasis here. And then you see a second son is born, and his name is, is Abel, and the question lingers. Will one of these bring about the fulfillment of the promise? And yet the devastating answer that we will see is no. They are a son, but they are not the promised son. And the devastation of sin becomes a deeper reality. The costliness of disobedience comes to bear in such brokenness and devastation in their family. And it goes on and it says, in the the course of time, in verse 3, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. There's this sense, even in that phrase, in the course of time, that, that it seemed like it was some sort of regular interval for them to offer a sacrifice. And both Cain and Abel offer a sacrifice. Now, a sacrifice at this point was not mandated by God. It wasn't to say, okay, you have to offer a sacrifice at this time or that time. Could someone get me a water? Thank you. Or that time, a sacrifice is, is what we would call a free will offering. It's an acknowledgement that whatever I have received I'm giving back to God that whatever I have has been received because of God's blessing on me. Like, think about it from the land. You can plant a seed. If you've done a a garden, thank you. I appreciate it. That if you plant a seed in the ground, do you make it? Is there anything you can do to make it produce fruit? Like there's this aspect of the relationship. like. I'm terrible at gardening and it's all weeds right now, but like when you plant a seed in the ground, you can watch it begin to grow and I can pull the weeds. I can water it, but I can't make the sun rise in the morning. I can't make the plant grow and I most definitely can't make it bear fruit. I can't make it productive in that way. There's this relationship that God has to do what's impossible for me. The same, like, Cain was a farmer. He worked the land. Abel was a shepherd. He worked with animals, but he can't make them reproduce. He can't make that those that are born be healthy. It's completely dependent upon God. In the heart of a sacrifice or an offering is that of gratefulness. It causes us to want to give a portion back. It's to say, what I have received, I didn't have control over, and yet God has blessed me with. And an offering is is doing two things. One side is it's saying thank you. It's saying thank you for, for what you've given me. I couldn't do this on my own. And it's also saying I trust you for the future. 
I trust you that not only could I not produce this and I'm grateful for what you've given me, but I'm trusting you with what the future is. And so I want to keep this in mind that what determines the value of a sacrifice is not just the substance, what we would determine to be the quality of that substance, but rather it's the heart. It is the gratefulness of the heart making that offering and the trustworthy humility before God that is presenting that argument. That's important because then we get to the place when we see Cain makes an offering, right? Cain says, here's some fruit. Here's some produce is what it says. Here's some of what the land has produced. That's all we're told. And then Abel offers some of the the firstborn and the fat portions. God regards, he accepts Abel's offering and he rejects Cain's offering. Why? Is the the blood of animals better than the produce of land? Is that what it was? No. Because in the Old Testament, we see both produce of land and animals being given as part of the sacrificial system. It's not that God's like, I don't like vegetables. I only want meat. I might say that, but God's not saying that. Right? What is being said? We're given some clues in the text here, and there's also some things talked about later on in the New Testament. Cain, we're told in the the New Testament, had evil in his heart. That his actions, though making a sacrifice to God, were considered unrighteous. Abel, on the other hand, offered a sacrifice in faith. Abel, it says in Hebrews 11, by faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. Even though he died, he still speaks through his faith. Even in Jude 11 of Cain, it says, woe to them for they have gone the way of Cain. They have plunged into Balaam's consider Satan's heir for profit. Here's what we're seeing here. And this is where I want the echoes of the song we just sang to ring in our hearts. King offered some of the produce. It reads as if it was an afterthought. It reads as if I'm giving this to you so I can get more. Right? Like I'm here going through the motions to get more from you. So here's a little bit, some of the produce, it doesn't talk about its quality. It doesn't, but what it is revealing is Cain's heart is indifferent towards God. It is self-centered in what he can get. Where Abel, on the other hand, it says some of the firstborn of the livestock. This wasn't just one of the firstborn. This was some of the firstborn. This was multiple animals. This was the firstborn. That means of what God has given in my hope for future production and multiplication of these livestock is fully on God. My hope is in God. My trust 
is in God. I can't do this myself. And he separated the meat from the fat and offered both before God as an offering in faith, the New Testament says, that God will provide. It is the gratefulness and the trust. It is that sense of not just going through the motions to get more from God. Like this is where it starts to apply to our hearts this morning, right? Like, why are you here? Because two people can be sitting side by side, going through the same motions, reading the same text, singing the same songs, and yet one will be approved and the other not. Why? This is where it starts to hit our hearts. Are we just here to get something from God? Like I'm going through the motions and I'm doing my time so that God gives me a good week because I have something coming up this week and I want God to bless me. And there's this sense of it's just about me and I'm doing what's necessary to get what I want. Or are we saying, God, thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you for the job that I'll go to next week. Thank you for the family that's beside me. And Lord, my heart is humbled before you. I'm grateful and I trust you for whatever tomorrow holds, good or bad. My hope, my faith, my trust is in you. Do you see the difference? Same motions, same actions. This is what God is doing. A heart that's motivated by gratitude and faith. This is why when you keep reading in the Old Testament and you can say, oh, there was these like systems and there were offerings and there were sacrifices and it was just about that. But then when you read in Hosea 6, 6, we hear God say, for I desire faithful love. I desire faithful love, not sacrifice. I desire the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. In Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, you do not want sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart before God. That's what he desires. Not the motions. Not just a $10,000 check to try to buy a blessing from God. What God desires is a broken, humble spirit before him. That's what he desires. And here's Cain. His offering has been disregarded, rejected by God. In verse 5, God did not regard Cain or his offering. And Cain is furious. A burning fire of passion, of red-hot anger at God. Because he didn't like his offering. And it says Cain looked despondent. It's interesting, isn't it? Like just one of the questions as I was reading the passage, why was Cain angry and not sad? See, if he was desiring a relationship with God and God's like, that's not going to work. Would Cain have been angry? He would have been sad. There's something lost that is want it. But instead, he's like, this is mine. I gave you some of this produce. If you're not going to take it, I could have eaten it and I need more. 
and now you're not going to accept it. Like, can you see the, the turn that has happened here? Cain is furious with God. He is angry, out of his mind with anger, and despondent, rejected, downcast, defeated, heart exposed, motivation laid bare. And here comes such an important moment. And this is why for me, what I'm about to say is like, as I was studying this passage, what has jumped out, and you're going to hear me talk about a couple times here this morning, is God's response to Cain. I think I always just kind of looked at it like Abel offered a better sacrifice. Cain offered a bad sacrifice. Cain killed Abel. Don't kill your brother. We can turn this into like a moralistic story. Like, okay, that's the application. Don't kill anybody this week. Great. I would be like, that's not at all what's happening here. Though it was the outcome. Look at God's grace toward Cain in this moment. This is what jumped out at me. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? We read tone in words, don't we? I think the thing that has struck me is what I see here is God drawing Cain in. He didn't just reject Cain. Go check your attitude at the door and don't come back until you fix it. He didn't do that. It's like, Cain, come here. He's drawing him in. Why is your heart so angry? Why so downcast? He's graciously drawing Cain in. He's encouraging him. Look, if you do what's right, won't it be accepted? Won't you be accepted? There's encouragement here. He's not saying, I just want your best fruit. I want your heart, Cain. You know what I'm asking for here. I want your heart, but you're so angry with me right now. You're, you're so downcast. Why? If you bring me your heart, won't that be made right? Do you see the character of God on display here? And then you see God warning him. There's this care. There's, there's this compassion. Cain, you're on dangerous ground. Like sin is, is crouching at the door. If you don't do what's right, see, if you do what's right, it's restoring our relationship if you humble your heart for me. But if you don't, if your heart becomes hardened in that anger toward me, sin is crouching at the door. It's like a lion, the same word was used elsewhere. It's like you can imagine it in the tall grass, like crouching down wiggling its tail, just ready to pounce. Look, it's ready to devour you. It's going to consume you if you're not careful. Do you see the warning of God in his character toward Cain, who's furious at him? Be careful, Cain. And in the very next verse, it is like this sudden, abrupt, total devastation. Like, we've seen these verses unpacked, the sacrifices, the, the birth, are these the ones? Will, will the son, is that Cain, is that Abel, what's going to happen? And then in one brutal verse, it all 
crumbles down, Cain said to his brother in pre-meditation, let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. In verse 8, it's just like matter of fact. It's just blunt. No description, no nothing. Just all this build up, his heart, this pursuit of God. And then Cain in complete anger, blaming God, blaming his brother Abel. Well, maybe if you weren't here, God would have accepted mine. We have no idea what was going through Cain's mind. But we do know that he premeditatively said, hey, Abel, let's go in the field, and then killed him and allowed his blood to just soak into the ground at his feet. It is sudden. It is brutal. It's murder. And Cain is angry at God. He's angry at his brother. He's jealous of his brother. And he rejects the image of God represented in Abel as he spilt his blood into the ground. He denies his responsibility as a brother to care and to respect what it meant for his brother to be created in the image of God. And sin continues to bring about separation. The consequences of Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden. What we see is now spreading with a devastating reality. That's what we're going to see in these coming things. We await the promise, but first we see the totality in the reality of sinfulness that's permeating mankind. The serpent said, oh, you'll be like God. Oh, you're going to have life. Oh, God's holding you back. And you realize before or after it's too late, it was all a lie. The serpent promised life and all it's bringing is death. He promised self-sufficiency, but it's, it's only taking. It's taking the hope. It's taking the future. It, it, it's taking life and it just consumes and consumes more and more. And it's this devastating reality. But again, we continue to see the graciousness of God. Cain is furious at God, and God kindly drew him in. Cain is discouraged and despondent, and God kindly encourages him. Cain is, is tempted, tempted to give in to the anger and the sin, and, and God kindly warns him. And then Cain acts on that anger and kills his brother. And God justly judges Cain. Cain lied. Where's your brother? I don't know. And God listened. And then Cain pleaded with self-pity. Oh, your judgment, it's too hard. It's too hard. And God protected him. Like, I didn't see all that before. God's kindness to Cain. Cain was a wanderer on the earth. Sin, death. When you keep reading in chapter four, like, make no mistake about it. You see sin, death, and violence continue to flourish through the line of Cain. And it seems to like grow. It's not like it just stays there. 
It magnifies the brutality, the the murder that comes through his line. Cain is unrepentant. God's kindness is met with continued anger, and there is no indication that Cain ever repented of his wrongdoing. But that does not disqualify or discount God's kindness to him. And we see this again and again in Scripture, this reality of but God. These two words put together, sin brings death, it says in Romans 6.23, but God gives the gift of life. I want you to hear this like echoing in, in Cain's life, who was angry, despondent, discouraged, rejecting God, but God pursued, but God was kind. Man is tempted, but God is faithful in 1 Corinthians. My heart and my flesh fail again and again and again, but God is my strength in Psalm 73. I'm helpless in my sin. I can't do anything to break free from it. Even in my righteous offerings, it is only because God has promised the Son who will restore me, not because I can restore myself. I am helpless in my sin, but God God demonstrated his love, his loving kindness for us by dying on the cross. The son who was promised in Genesis 3 is our hope, but God. Like These are the two thoughts I want to leave with us this morning. It is the justice and the love of Jesus. It speaks both to the injustice of Abel's death. His death was unjust. He did not deserve to die. He offered a good, right, faithful offering to God, and he was murdered for it. And then we have the wondering heart of Cain, who is angry and despondent towards God. And we see both the justice of God and his love for the wondering heart in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It speaks to both the reality of Abel and of Cain. See the justice of Jesus. His death paid the penalty for Cain's murder. Consider this for a moment. To the original hearers, they would have heard Cain say those words, Am I my brother's keeper? According to the law in Leviticus, yes, you are. Your brother's taken into slavery. It's your job to restore and redeem him. That blood was considered the source of life in Leviticus 17. The fact that it cried out from the ground. Where is the justice for what is unjust? We can hear those cries in our hearts today in the same way that it's like, The blood of Abel cries out from the ground. Who will avenge this blood? Who will deal justly with this death? We continue to hear those cries today. Does God care? Does he see when I am treated unjustly? Does he notice if he's good, God would deal with this? If he exists, he would deal with this. There is a cry for justice when it comes to our mistreatment. I received mistreatment, right? Because when we do something wrong, we want mercy. (laughs) When somebody wrongs us, we want justice. 
That's typically how my heart responds. There's a cry for justice. But Hebrews 12, 24 says, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, which we will be talking about more in the coming weeks, what a covenant is, and then ultimately what the new covenant is. And to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. Here's what I want us to see. The blood of Abel cries out for justice. It cries out in death. The blood of Jesus brings justice. And the blood of Jesus gives life. That the just punishment that we will hear about later for taking another human life is death. God in mercy let Cain go and in Christ on the cross died, was punished justly for the sin that Cain did. Jesus died to pay the penalty for the sins that Steve has done and will do. Jesus died justly for your wrongs for the guilt and shame that you carry, God sufficiently paid for as the ultimate sacrifice and offering before God. The justice of God, his wrath poured out on Christ. And so we see the justice of God poured out, but I also want us to see his love. Because here's the thing that can at times be for me, for whatever reason, it's easier. It, it can be easy to overlook. Like I was reminded of Jesus' story in Matthew 18. That a shepherd has a hundred sheep, right? And, and one wanders off and wanders away from the shepherd. And, and won't a good shepherd leave the 99 on the hillside and go and pursue and seek after that one who is lost, who has wandered off? And when he finds him, won't he rejoice and celebrate that it's been found, that that which was lost is now found? Do you see the love of God that both Cain and Abel need the same Savior? The justice of God redeeming the lost life and the love of God pursuing the wandering heart, the one who's angry and despondent towards God because of life circumstances, who has not yet taken responsibility for their own actions, that the good shepherd pursues and seeks them, exposing the heart, laying it bare, and then asking the question, why so angry? Why so despondent? A holy God that pursues and searches our hearts. The wandering heart. The running away heart. The character of God pursuing and warns sins crouching at the door. Be careful which way you go. Be mindful of your heart. If you continue in mistrust and rejection of God, it will lead to death. 
but hear the footsteps of a Savior who pursues wandering sinners to draw them back home, to humble their hearts before God, to fix their faces on the promised Son who will restore and heal and made whole that which is broken. And then in eternity, in Revelation, when we get there, what we'll see is that picture of the goodness of Eden is our reality in heaven forever that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the presence of God, he will be our light and there will be no shame, no separation, no tears. This is our hope. And we stand in a moment and it begs the question, where is your heart this morning? Is it being bent towards God in trust and gratefulness? And in faith, and I believe your promises, I believe your word, and I I believe your goodness. And we might stumble along the way, but is our heart bent in affection towards God? Or is our heart bent away in anger towards God? In discouragement, doubt, disobedience. And I pray that for each, for each, you hear the just and love of a father who would be willing to send his only son to die on the cross for your sins so that by faith in him you might be saved. This is our hope to the righteous and the unrighteous, to the good and the bad. Let us not make the Old Testament stories morality tales to just be a good person and don't be bad. It is so, so much more. Regardless, we celebrate in the person and work of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. That in your kindness, you would pursue us even in our stubbornness and sin. Lord, that you seek the lost, to save them in your mercy. Lord, I pray that for those whose hearts feel far off in this moment, whose life is maybe marked by the anger and the discouragement more than faith and trust, Lord, I pray that you allow them the sweetness of perceiving the reality of your presence, seeking them, drawing them in, exposing sin and forgiving it as they place their faith and trust in you. Lord, to those who see themselves as righteous, I pray that it is not a righteousness of their own, of our own, but it is a rightness that says our hope and faith is in your promises and your work and not my own. Guard our hearts in our own perceived goodness from becoming self-righteous. Let our hope be expressly on Jesus Christ this morning. And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.